Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. We begin by acknowledging the Gabi Gabi people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast episode is being recorded today and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to their parents with children with disabilities. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F-word, so it's not really suitable for children. Well, you probably won't hear quite so much swearing among the beans, you know. Well, yeah. Not suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, peas and beans. I am so pleased to be able to say hello to you right at this moment, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening... Two o'clock in the morning, whatever it is for you as you're listening, so glad that you're here with us. You're going to hear a conversation in a moment uh, as I talk to an old friend of mine named James. Something that I think is, look, all of these conversations are unique and special, are they not? In every single one of them that I've listened to so far, there has been even if it's only just one moment, but usually more than one moment, something profound, something that really locks in deep with the person you are and with where you live, and you think, oh, my God, I'm glad I heard that. There's a few of those for me, anyway, in this conversation with James, and I am so thrilled that James was willing to have a conversation with me and that his wife, Renee, was willing to loan him to us for a little while to do that. James and Renee and their three daughters live in Armadale. James is a teacher with a number of roles. He'll explain those to you in the conversation. Uh, I've known James and Renee since they were young teenagers in a youth group when I was working in a church. Uh, They went on to become youth leaders in that youth work. Particularly, they took a, a real heartfelt interest in contributing to the lives of lots of Indigenous kids in Toowoomba at the time where we lived. And I haven't spoken to James for decades. And it was just, you know, on the off chance that I said to him, look, I'm doing these conversations with dads now, would you be interested? And he said, look, Renee and I decided years ago that if anything that we could say or do would help another family or other couples other parents, 
that we would be happy to do it. And it's with that spirit of wanting to make a contribution, wanting to be encouraging, wanting to help, that James said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Let's do it. So we had this conversation. You'll hear a couple of times in there he calls me Hilsey. Uh, I don't know why that makes me smile, but nobody at that church ever called me Gary or Mr. Hills. It was always Hilsey, which I like. And uh, so to be called Hilsey again after all these years was kind of, kind of sweet as well. As well as being a teacher, uh, James is a photographer and a very accomplished photographer. He has self-published a book called Corrugated Cathedrals, in which he travelled around and met shearers, and the shearing sheds are the cathedrals. Uh, these are places where he has captured some snapshots of this this part of Australian life. And I, I have to tell you, I, I have one. It, it, is, it is stunning. Uh, he's working on another project at the moment called In Our Eyes, where he looks to allow people in black and white photographs to tell something of their story just through their eyes. Just as we are putting this episode together this week, James's daughter, Olive, who's now eight, has just come out of, in fact, she's still in hospital, she's just come out of yet another surgery. He'll explain her story of surgery after surgery. She's... She's doing well. She's had a couple of hiccups, a couple of tough moments this week, and uh, as have the whole family who have rallied together as they usually do. So this is a shout-out. Love to you, Renee, and to Olive and the girls and the whole family. Wishing you speedy return to home and, and, and strength from this day forward. You know, when when I was when I was a boy, I get to say that at my age, dads were looked at completely differently at the level of society when it came to the birth process. I guess there were as many dads then or expecting fathers then as there are now who would be very keen to be in the birthing suite, to be present, to be part of the process, but it just wasn't done. I guess there were a lot of dads who were glad about it too, but the fact was, whether you wanted to or not, dads dads were just not really expected or welcome, let's put it that way, in the birthing process. These days that's different, fortunately, and you'll hear, hear James talk about his role as a dad leading up to the caesarean that brought Olive to the world and in the weeks and months that followed and it just occurred to me as I was listening how much better it is now to expect that dads will be present, not just when something doesn't go according to plan, but especially when something goes that's not according to plan. I, I just admire the, the way James and so many of the other dads that I've spoken to, but the way that James was there in a way that nobody else could have been in those first, particularly those first few days and weeks, because he was allowed to be, he was welcome to be, and he's the kind of bloke who who was there present fully when he was needed and, and has been ever since. 
One thing that occurred to me while we were talking was just how great a gift a good night's sleep is. You know, sleep we take for granted when we have it, but we know how much it's necessary when we don't have it. And you're going to hear James talking about how he and Renee have had to schedule for years and years sleep rosters so that one of them can be alert enough and aware enough in case their beautiful daughter stops breathing during the night. Year in, year out, they've done this. They still do it. My wish for them both would be some good sleep when the chance comes. This is my conversation with James Russell. G'day, James. G'day, Gary. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks, mate. Thanks for asking. You called me Gary? <laughs> I did. I was being formal. I don't think you've ever called me <laughs> Gary, ever in my life. Probably not, I, no. So so if it slips out at Hillsy somewhere through the conversation, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Just relax, mate. You don't have to be formal <laughs> here with me. No worries. I've never known anyone to call it formal to call me Gary, but anyway. <laughs> But look, thanks very much, mate. I, it's night time as we're recording. This is my first night interview, and I, I have to say my voice and my brain are usually better in the morning, so we'll see how this goes. But I appreciate your time, and I know that it has to be night time because you work full time, and so, and you've got your family you know, commitments when you get home. So I really appreciate this. We are surrounded at the moment by a great cloud of witnesses, if I can put it that way. <laughs> All the peas and beans and various other hangers-on are listening with great interest. So thank you for coming here to tell your story. Tell, so I say you're working. You've been at the high school today. What's your role at the high school? What do you teach? Yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a secondary teacher at the, the local Catholic high school. I, um, I teach the two main areas. I, I teach PDHPE and I'm also what we call the ATSI-focused teacher. So that's a, that? a role. Yeah, I, I work to support our Indigenous students in the school and, and engage them in education and, and, you know, all the extra sort of support that they might need. So Yeah, fantastic. It's good fun. Man. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And what's your third area? Uh, then I'm also a, a year coordinator as well. So I'm a, a leader of learning, they're calling us now. They've changed our title of year nine. So I'm, I'm responsible for them as a year group. A year nine leader of learning. <laughs> yeah, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? It sounds very impressive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you're brilliant at it from what I know of you. <laughs> well, thank you. S- so listen, um, does the school have uh, students with disabilities or additional needs? Uh, some, yeah, we, we not not a huge amount. And in saying that, there's a lot of students who've got just sort of learning needs. Mm. Um, year nine, actually, funny enough, for the group that have got the most in the school. Okay. So, so we'd have probably, oh, it's over, over 20 students out of, uh, we're about 100 in year nine, over 20 of them who need some sort of extra learning support. Okay, great. Yeah, well, good on you. Okay, um, and... Um, in addition to being a high school teacher and everything else you do, uh, I did mention in the introduction that you're pretty mad keen as a photographer and you've published some work, some of your photography. Um, what's what's the book that if someone was looking for, the coffee table book that you published? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a self-published um, sort of project that I've done. Um, it's called Corrugated Cathedrals. Uh, it's a photography. And what, what is it? 
Yeah, it's a it's a black and white photography project around we um, living in Armadale. There's shearing sheds everywhere. You know, shearing's a huge industry in our area, and being a, a bit of a city slicker, really, when I moved to town here, had no idea what goes on in those sheds. So it was it was all about figuring that out. It was all about getting into the shearing sheds and, and meeting the shearers and the guys that work there and ladies, and mm. um, and capturing that in in black and white photos with a bit of a story to go with it as well. So. Yeah, yeah I have fun. a copy here and gave it to my sister in the US. It's it's a brilliant, if I might say, I reckon it's a brilliant, uh, to, you know, time capsule or a, a snapshot of that particular part of uh, our, our life and our story. I love the, the title, you know, Corrugated Cathedrals. That's really special. I think that's excellent. Um, you're working on one now called, what's it called? In yeah, it, it's in our eyes. It's in our eyes. Yeah. yeah. And everyone who you photograph is looking directly down the lens of the camera. Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing sort of two different types of portraits. So one is a um, like an environmental portrait, so capturing them. I've asked them for somewhere that's either sort of significant for them or just somewhere that mm. they feel really relaxed and at home. And then the second one is, is um, on a neutral sort of black background, more of a dark sort of intense portrait, but really with them looking directly into the camera. And, you know, the whole gist of it is capturing kind of who they are and their journey through the look in their eyes is what I'm trying to achieve. So, Well, I can tell you it's it's very arresting. It's very mesmerising. So I can recommend to everyone who's listening, if you want to check some of these out, we'll put the uh, links to James's Instagram and his website into the show notes. And I do recommend you check them out because they really are stunning. Um, so, all right, well, let's get to what the peas and beans are used to us doing here, James, and that is I'm going to ask you the three questions uh, as a bit of a warm-up. So, yep. firstly, is there a piece of music that you would like to recommend for our Spotify list, something that lifts you up or calms you down? Oh, goodness. I saw this question really quickly. I was going to think about it. I thought I'll go on the spot. Now I'm struggling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen to a whole range of stuff, Hilsey. I listen to all sorts of different music right through yeah. from sort of not really heavy rock but slightly heavy rock through to reggae, through to a bit of R&B and a bit of rap. I can tell you my favourite band at the moment. That'll do, that'll do. Yeah. So Gang of Youths have been my favourite band for a little while. Okay. Um, Australian band, um, a lot of storytelling in their music. It's a little bit heavier, some of it, but I, I just really enjoy their music and, and the um, lead singer's had an interesting sort of life story as well and, and he sort of portrays some of that through the music. So, yeah, I'm okay. into them a fair bit. All right. Thank you. Well, we'll put that in the list and uh, we can check that out. No worries. Uh, the second question, uh, as a high school teacher, this will be interesting, but did you win any awards at school? Do you have got to think back a bit, mate? It's going back a little while. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I did all right at school. I, I, um, when I finished year 12, I, I won some academic awards. And I, being a PE teacher, I was top of PE, so I won an award for that. Um, yeah, that was the main sort of things, I think, that I can remember. Okay. I was talking to a bloke this morning who, who was elected school captain in year 11, and he said the only reason he did it was for the biscuits. You know, so <laughs> I thought that was rather good. Always for the food. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, they were chalky biscuits. You know? Oh, of course they Yeah. So, listen, and then the third question, why are you what is called in this tribe a bean? Yeah, okay. Um I love being a dad. I, I um, from the moment before that, I guess before I got married, but pretty early in, in our marriage, my wife Renee and I were really keen to have kids. 
Uh, we've we've both sort of grown up doing youth work type stuff and and spending a lot of time around kids of different ages. So we we were keen for that. Had a little bit of trouble along the way to, towards that, but um, yeah, once we had our first Ella, it was that was the start of a journey where we you know obviously we ended up with two more children and and we both love that. I I love my time with my family and. And I'm really proud of my girls and the people that they're growing into. And, yeah, it's good fun. Challenging, but good fun. Yeah. Okay. So you're surrounded by all of these beautiful women at home. Oh, everywhere at home, mate. Even the dogs. The two dogs are women as well. Dog. The two dogs. (laughs) Yeah, mate. You've uh, got this worked out. So there's Renee and the the three daughters. So uh, Ella and... And Charlie is our middle daughter. And... And Olive, our youngest. Olive. Okay. And I think because of the conversation we're going to have, we'll focus in on, on Olive's story uh, yep. and for you you and Olive. Um, why don't you, before we talk about how she came into the world and the unique story that she has, why don't you help us picture her? Um, just just describe this young lady to us. Tell us what she's like. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Olive's, well, she's almost eight now. She's eight very soon and just under a month. Um, she's a rat bag. I can tell you that she's <laughs> she's full of life. That's when I had to think about this. That's what came to mind straight away. She's um, the sort of kid that just wants to get into everything. She's really determined. Doesn't want to miss out on anything, uh, despite some of the the limitations she might have that make it harder. She she wants to get involved in in anything at school, or especially what her big sisters are doing. She tries really hard to keep up with them. Uh, she's very popular with her peers and, and really a friendly personality who, who's just got that twinkle in her eye, I think you'd say, and, and just manages to, to get on really well with others. Uh, she, yeah, she, she wants to, loves having fun, loves mucking around, um, full of cheek. That's why I said she's a rat bag. So she's often giving me a hard time and stirring me up, but she's, she's just a beautiful little girl who, who we really love having around. Mm-hmm. And I can vouch for the fact that she has the most gorgeous eyes and, and, and smile. She's got a mother's know. eyes. She has, not yeah. mine. Yeah. <laughs> and shout out to you, Renee. Well done. <laughs> we're all uh, we're all there with you. So that's uh, yeah. that's Olive. Okay. Tell us about Olive. Um, tell us about this, the way she came into the world and the way she joined us way back nine years ago. Yeah. Okay. We. Um, it was one of those things where I can remember it being quite a relaxed lead-up. <laughs> it was a planned caesarean. Renee had had a few complications previously, so it was a, a planned, scheduled caesarean. And I was sitting down having a bit of lunch, I can remember, reading a magazine, feeling very relaxed. Uh, went in for the caesarean that afternoon in the Armadale Hospital. Uh, things seemed to be going fine. Um, had a little bit of trouble with the caesarean with actually removing Olive. She... They had a little bit of trouble getting her out, but there was no alarm or no issues there. And she came into the world and uh, where most kids make a bit of noise, she didn't. Uh, mm. She there was yeah, And that was the first little alarm. Uh, okay. She looked quite blue as she came in, you know, as she was born, but that wasn't, you know, that concerning. I'd, I'd seen my other children and they were all a bit blue as well. Uh, but she kept turning blue and she, she didn't make any noise. 
and mm. what was a very you know calm operating theatre quickly changed to people sort of dashing in, diff- in different directions and calling for other doctors and and it became pretty panicked and and I realised at that point that she wasn't breathing. Uh, that was that was tough. It was really hard, especially and with Renee. And of course, Renee, Renee was, yeah. was awake, was she? She was, she was aware awake of what was happening, but she, she couldn't was. see what was happening, of course. No, no, she could see very little and and but was definitely awake at that point and, and could hear some of what was going on and, and I think probably see the panic in my face. Yeah, um, yeah. And at that point, her blood pressure sort of took off and and they, they, they sedated her more heavily. Uh, she wasn't completely out, but they kept her very quiet and basically okay. put her back to sleep at that point. Uh, from there, a, um, a paediatrician who we've come to know really well over the years now uh, came into theatre and, yeah, she intubated Olive there in the theatre, um, thankfully very quickly. Uh, I've got, it's one of those things where you, don't, you have no sense of time. I, I don't know how long that moment took for her from when she was born and until she was intubated but uh, they they managed to do that quite successfully and yeah from there you know Olive was whisked off and and checked over and done all of that and and Renee the same she was you know she was checked over and sorted out and soon after we were down in um I was in the ward or somewhere and Olive was brought to us on a, on a ventilator. Uh, it was a dodgy ventilator, a bit of a country ventilator. It was, it was a oh, setup really? where, yeah, it wasn't automatic. Uh, they actually they had to neopuff, I'm talking about. So the, mm. the um, paediatrician and, and she had a registrar working with her at that stage. They were taking it in turns to basically do it manually with their thumb on the end of the tube to simulate Olive's breathing. Yeah, and how so, long did they do that for without a break? Oh, it was it was a number of hours. It was um, again, like mm. I said, I lost track of time a little bit, but it would have been at least five hours, I think it was at the time that they did that for. And is anyone telling you what's happened or what's going on? Or yeah, very little. No one, no one really knew. Uh, all they were saying at that stage is that that Olive was unable to breathe on her own. And they weren't sure why. It could have been a whole range of things. Um, Laryngomalacia was mentioned at that point as a possibility. So a floppy airway. Uh, but, yeah, they weren't really sure. And, and as you do as a parent, we sort of formed our own little <laughs> prognosis there and then. And did you? Yeah, yeah, well, we did. I think we just got into our minds that it wouldn't be anything major. Um, yeah, okay. It, it, yeah. Something had, had got caught or something wasn't quite right and it would be something that would be really easily fixed. <laughs> Little did we yeah, know. Okay. So you're both obviously on high alert but you're you're fairly calm? You're, you're not yeah. panicking at this point? No, we weren't. We were feeling much better at that point. Um, okay. We, you know, Olive was safe. She was, she was a much better colour than she had been. Uh, Renee got to have a bit of a cuddle. So that was really nice. Oh, that's wonderful. So it was, it was feeling a lot better at that point. And because it was a Caesar, was was it uh, was she full term or was this early? No, she was full term. Okay, full term, so healthy what, pregnancy all the way through. Okay, so no warning about this. No. And you're in Armadale. We are, yeah. With a manually operated, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, intub- you know, uh, ventilator. Ventilator, basically, yeah. Obviously, you'd have to go somewhere major. Sydney, was it? 
Newcastle. No, Newcastle. So uh, yeah. John John Hunter Children's Hospital over in Newcastle. Um, right. So I, we were airlifted that night. So obviously Renee couldn't go anywhere. She was yeah. still pretty fragile at that point. So Olive and myself, it was just after midnight, I think, we were picked up from the Armidale Hospital and, and whisked off by plane that time uh, down to Newcastle to John Hunter. Just you and Olive? Yeah, just the two of us, yeah. And obviously, so how long did Renee have to remain in the hospital before she could join you? Yeah, it was a couple of days, I'm pretty sure. I think she came down, it was the third day after she was born, I think. How, how traumatic. I mean, did she have family or friends around her? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, not really, I don't think. I think mm. being our third baby, we, we probably didn't look for as much support as we had with the earlier babies. And So where and were the two girls, though, at this point? Mum and Dad must have been here or it might, have oh, been okay. her, it might have been her sister. Belinda might have been here. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, okay. But she's obviously, um, as each day goes by, more and more anxious to join yeah. you and Olive. So she got to Newcastle after a couple of days. Yeah, she did. And, and those first few days were pretty, I mean, they were very tough. They were really tough. There was a lot of doctors trying to figure out what was going on, basically. Um, so trialling, you know, getting her off the ventilator, uh, trialling all sorts of different ways of delivering oxygen, you know, CPAP, and I'm sure some of the other <laughs> listeners know what I'm talking about with that. Um, and each of those was unsuccessful, so it was, it was really... Over those few days, there was a lot of watching Olive desaturate. Um, yeah. Turn very blue very quick. It's one of my most vivid memories of, of Olive as a baby is, is just how often she was that really horrible shade of blue. And um, the other one I always think of is the, 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 um, the monitor, the beep on the monitor going off and the, that, the, when the alarms go off, it's, yeah, it's not a nice feeling, but that... That was happening repeatedly while Renee was, was still in Armadale and that made it even harder for her and, you know, not being there and, and hearing what was going on and bits and pieces of what were going on from me. Um, it was, yeah, it was tough. It was pretty hard. And you stayed near the hospital, at the hospital? First, in, yeah. In those first few days? Yeah, the first sort of 24 hours or so I just stayed in the hospital. I was in pretty much in the ward, in NICU the whole time. Um, eventually they organised a bit of temporary accommodation for me, uh, just a little one bed in a shared sort of complex. Um, my parents, by the second day or the third day it must have been, they had arrived as well. Uh, they were able to come. They'd actually just finished working in the Northern Territory and just returned to Toowoomba and they were able to come down and, and be a support. So we, we spent... That must have been a relief. It was great. Yeah, it was a big relief just to have some family there and and, and just someone to, you know, to share the load and, and have a cuddle, I think, as much as anything else. It was yeah, yeah. It was a huge relief. We, so by the time Renee gets to join you, um, are they any further along with knowing what to do about this? No, not at all. So it was, it was really the first three weeks or so trying to figure out what was going on. So three weeks of them trialling different, you know, different ways of trying to support her and, and get trying to get Olive to breathe on her own. Um, and, yeah, all unsuccessful. So why three weeks? What happened after three weeks? After the third week, they, um, they started to talk about uh, 
a tracheostomy. So we we were called, and this is another really vivid memory, we were called into the meeting room and, and by that point you sort of realise what the meeting room means. It's never good news when you're mm. called in there. It's it's somewhere yeah. where you you find out something you normally don't want to hear. And, and yeah, so we were called in to say that they had no idea what was going on. Uh, and, and the only way that Olive would be able to, you know, sort of leave hospital and have some sort of normality at that point was to have a tracheostomy. And, yeah, we weren't expecting that. That was the furthest thing from what we expected, even at yeah. that Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah. And so yeah. they did that, did they? Yeah, they did. So that was done when she was around four weeks old, the surgery for that. Um that was that was a really tough moment for us to accept. We that was the moment where we had to accept it wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't something that could be sorted out and we could get home. It was it was going to be a longer road and, and possibly years, you know, to get things um, sorted out and Olive healthy. So it was done at four weeks, but it was actually an amazing moment because she, for the first time after that, she looked comfortable. So after the surgery was done, when she was awake, yeah, she looked comfortable. She was. She was smiling away a little bit and and just looked like a different baby. And so she was, was breathing on her own then through the trachea, was she? Yeah, she was. So as soon as the tracheostomy was done and she you know, she woke up from the anaesthetic, she was breathing on her own pretty comfortably through the trachea. So all good. You go home, that's the end of it. Well, she's fine. <laughs> we wish. No? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. That was the oh, end of no, the first yeah. month. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> I do. So, but that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, what a, what a moment of relief to see her smile and, and see yeah. her breathing on her own and know that even though there's this unknown ahead of you, that at that moment she's okay. Yeah. So you, you get home then, do you, after that, or do you stick around at the hospital for a bit longer? Yeah, no, we stick around. We we stick around for quite a while. We we end up in hospital for three months all up at John Hunter. Um, yeah, with the tracheostomy, 
especially with the baby. Um, there was a fair bit of, of training. You know, there's recovery, obviously, first off, but there was a fair bit of training they wanted to do with us before they'd consider that we were safe to take her home. So we had, yeah, but it was another eight weeks of, uh, we're probably in the, in the um, NICU for another, I think it was another two weeks after that. And then we were off in the ward for the, the remainder of that time. But- and while you were there, did you, um, you must have bumped into other parents who were coming and going, did you? Yeah, definitely, With, yeah. Yeah. How was that? Uh, and did you meet any other dads? Yeah, I, I did. We um, we were staying in Ronald McDonald House by that point as well, so that was another place where we met a lot of people and, and yeah, shared some, you know, shared some really nice moments chatting to people and, and shared some tears with people as you do it in that sort of situation and and it was yeah it was it was really good for you I think when you when I look back it was it was one of those things that sort of brings you back to earth a little bit too because we were you know we were chatting to parents of kids who who had some pretty severe cancer and you know had been at Ronald McDonald, McDonald House for six nine months a year um, and, and were really struggling, you know, with a child who was really, really unwell, and and our little girl, in the scheme of things, wasn't too bad. You know, that was was really good for us to see that and and hear that. Okay, I mean, I know you and Renee well enough to know that those interactions would have been a real gift to other parents too, mate. I know that you and Renee are always there for others, and you, uh, you know, you share uh, what encouragement and love you can. And I'm quite sure that some of those parents you know, we're, we're very glad to have run across you two as well. Yeah, thank um, you. Well, I mean, you know, it's true. And, and I, when I asked you to come on and, and talk, uh, your first response was, you know, that you and Renee had or had a talk about it and decided that if it was maybe going to be of an encouragement or a help to somebody else that you would do it. Um, and that's, uh, that's just you. So, so, all right, well, let's move on then to when you did get home. Yeah. Okay. How was that? Yeah, it was. A, we were shell shocked. I'd say it was. It was a great moment. It was really exciting to get home, and and at the same time, really daunting to to be on our own and, and not have the support that we'd had at the hospital. So it was. Yep. It was. Well, how did it go? Yeah, good and bad. Good and bad. I, I mean, initially pretty good. Uh, it was, you know, not much sleep. Obviously, being at home with a, a daughter with a trackie and things like that. But initially, she was well and. And, and happy and, and mum and dad was, was staying as, as well so they were in Armadale at that point to help out uh, so we were we were coping all right it was wasn't easy but it was okay but um, it was probably if might have been three four weeks at home maybe a bit less even and we had our first little wake-up call we we'd um, we decided that Olive would sleep in a cot right beside our bed that was our plan of attack at that point uh, so one of us could, you know, get to her quickly. She she needs a lot of suction, especially early on. Uh, we were we were suctioning. And we had to we had to tally it. It was up to 120 times a day, which sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but so she was beside our bed, uh, sleeping away. We we were both sort of dozing off, and we had gone to sleep. And and but Renee had had sort of, you know, I think it was the old mother's instinct kicking in. She. She'd roused a little bit and noticed that Olive's legs were kicking a- around in the cot, and yeah. I didn't think too much of it at the time, and but didn't go straight back to sleep. Sort of dozed a little bit again, and and then started to see that her legs were really starting to kick with a bit more urgency, and and um, jumped up to check on her and saw that the tracheostomy had come out, 
and was <sighs> was sitting on a on a chest. You know, it was, it was still tied around the neck, obviously, but it had popped out. Our rookie era, we we hadn't tied the um, ties up tight enough, and and she'd managed to flick it out during the night and was basically suffocating. Um, yeah, so I, I jumped up and we were able to quickly whip it back in and all was fine. Uh, but that was our first real wake-up call to, yeah, just how serious things were and, and how how careful we needed to be. <laughs> the funny side of that story about Hilsey is we, we ended up, mum um, made some some little bells. We got some little bells and and put them on some little Velcro, uh, some little elastic sort of bracelets on on Olive's ankles and her wrists. Yeah, and, and she slept with those. That was her her little alarm bell. We figured if if ever anything went wrong during the night, she'd kick her legs and we could hear the bells. So, and yeah. did that work? Oh, probably not. <laughs> I don't know. We, it didn't happen again. Thankfully, we didn't have that issue again. Ah, okay, um, but that's a lovely that thing one. for a, a grandma to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's, it was that's nice. A lovely idea. And so uh, you got the trekkie back in. Um, yep. But uh, so what? Obviously, that's not the end of that story. Um, yeah, we had to have it checked out the next day. Um, I mean, everything seemed fine, and, and we were pretty sure she hadn't had it out for too long. Uh, when she was checked out by the paediatrician the next day, she she thought she was fine as well. It was, it, I mean, it really was just a wake up call more than anything else. Just to, we needed to be much more on top of things, and and at that point, sleep became something that really, yeah, was was never the same. I guess. I was just going to say, you have to be on alert, don't you? Basically, one or one or both of you, the whole yeah. time, really. Yeah, and that was that was we we did actually sort of change plans a little bit after that. Um, and that's basically what it was. We were taking in turns for one of us to to be on duty, I guess you'd say. I'd, yeah. you know, I'd sort of do. We've had a few different arrangements at different times. At that point, I think we were doing the full night each, um, yeah. which was really hard because you, you barely sleep at all on those nights. And that sort of over time that changed to I was doing. I was staying up most nights, probably until Oliver's about five. I was staying up most nights till about one o'clock. Okay. And then Renee would do the rest of the night through to the morning. Gosh, you do what you have to do, don't you? Yeah, you do, you do. Well, well not everyone does, so good on you, mate, because, you know, you've, you've hung in there the whole way. Um, is it true that tracheotomies have to be done periodically? Like, it's not just one surgery, is it? No, she's, she's had a lot of surgeries. So the, um, the stoma that they cut, yeah, it does, it becomes a bit, sort of knocked around and a bit jagged and and at times they've got to make it larger so she's oh the actual tracheostomy she's probably had done redone maybe four times i guess okay how, how is she when she has to go in for more surgery what's the story you tell and the way you you do yeah. that together yeah she's she's really good she's really brave she's that's another thing about Olive. I should have said is she's incredibly brave and incredibly resilient. She um, she copes with it really well. I mean, sometimes there's a few tears at the last minute, uh, but normally she's you know when we're up in in the ward getting ready to go in, she's chatting to the nurses. Well, not chatting, but she was when she was younger, she was non-verbal. She she didn't speak until okay. oh, how old was she? I was working this out. I think she was five when she started speaking. Okay. Um, but yeah, she was always interacting with the nurses and, and happy and and coped really well with that. Once she was old enough to understand, she was still pretty much the same. She, you know, she she 
know what was going on, we'd always let her know. I mean, obviously not too early before it, but sort of a week out, we'd let her know what's coming up, and and she'd cope really well with that. She she was she is amazing. So tell tell us the story about going to Perth. Yeah, so while we're in um, in Newcastle, there was it was very much you know the doctors were saying that they didn't know what to do with her and and they had no real plan for her other than waiting for her to grow um you know obviously they were going to look at some further scopes and and things like that as they went but at that stage they they really couldn't diagnose what was going on it was uh, talking laryngo malaysia and um basically that her vocal cords were almost paralyzed uh but also just not not coordinating, not working as they should. Mm. And there was no real surgery sort of options being discussed and, and things like that. So I started doing the, the reading as you do and becoming becoming an expert around these you things. Do. You do. You absolutely. certainly do, yep. Yes, yeah, so I started reading uh, medical journals and things like that and, and they all sort of pointed me to a, a surgeon in Cincinnati in America, a, um, a doctor over there who seemed to be the real leader in this sort of field. And we contacted him and, you know, at that stage we were thinking we were going to the States. We were, we were getting ready to get geared up to, to really pull that together. And, yeah. and he had replied, he was, he was actually really great. He was, he was a lovely man. He replied very quickly and said that he'd be more than happy to treat Olive. But there was a surgeon in Perth who'd, who'd recently finished training under him and had moved back to Perth and, and was based over there now. So we um, got in contact with him. So Dr. Shian Vijasakaran over in Perth, uh, yeah, a really a beautiful man and a great surgeon, we think. Uh, and we um, ended up going over there and, and meeting him and, and letting him do a scope on Olive and ended up having three major lots of surgery over in Perth over, over three years, really. Two years it would have been actually. Yeah. So backwards and forwards trips. Uh, I think we've done five trips across to Perth over that period of time, five or six. And, uh, and he was able to make a difference. Yeah, he, he did make a difference. It was, I mean, it wasn't quite the difference that he hoped for and that we hoped for. Uh, the surgeries, so he's done um, two reconstructions where they use some rib cartilage to basically rebuild your your airway, your your trachea, yeah. uh, and they the I mean the first one was very much we went, <laughs> we we packed up and went over there planning to be there for a month to return with a daughter without a tracheostomy that was the the very much the plan and the mindset of everyone when we went across, um, but it, it wasn't to be it was so the surgery was was only really partially successful uh, it helped to open her airway a little bit but she was still nowhere near when they tried to decannulate. She, she just couldn't cope and, and had to have the tracheostomy done again. Uh, the second time was, was the same, but obviously we were a bit, more, <laughs> a bit more realistic about the possibility of things working really well. Uh, but again, it, it failed. And, yeah, we, we sort of returned with our, <laughs> our tail between our legs a little bit. Mm. Um, and the third one was a bit different. Uh, we'd had another scope in between after the second one. We'd gone back over for a scope and just to check how things were going and, and they'd found that she had a lot of scar tissue as well at that point. So she, um, she needed a section of her airway to be removed. 
So she had that done as the third surgery. And again, they tried to decannulate on that one and that was unsuccessful too. So yeah, we didn't quite get there. It's an, you know, we, we talk about these journeys in a few minutes and, uh, you know, this is years worth of um, experience we're talking about here. Yeah. You, you say that she became verbal around about the age of five. How is she with her speech now? Yeah, really good. She, um, she still speaks with, you know, a slightly sort of guttural sort of, it's not the mm-hmm. clearest of voices, a little bit gravelly, but... You can't keep her quiet, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> she, she loves a chat. She 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 picked up speaking really well. She um, it started just with some grunts. It was it was not far before Christmas that year. Actually, it was it was the best Christmas present we've ever had. Oh yeah. And we we were literally just sitting in the lounge room one night, and Olive was just sitting on my lap, and and all of a sudden started making this grunting noise, and and she just sort of looked up at me, and and she knew straight away <laughs> what was going on, and. And pretty much what proceeded to, to dance around the lounge room. She jumped up oh, and was dancing yeah. around, and <laughs> as we all did, pretty much, I guess, too. So it was it was amazing. And oh, that that's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was a really strong memory. One of those really special moments with her. Um, yeah, but from there, vocally, she you know she's had some speech pathology over the years, quite a bit. And yeah, she speaks really well. She she went from sort of making sounds to to words to sentences very quickly, and and now she keeps up with everyone else, and she's doing that really well wonderful. at school and everything yeah. else. So she's going great. So tell us about school. Yeah. How how has that been for her? Uh, I mean, on the whole, good. It's it's been difficult. Um, she Olive's situation. She doesn't fit neatly into, you know, NDIS or any sort of disability type services. She, you know, she's not your classic sort of case and and we've often had some difficulty around, you know, obtaining funding and stuff like that. Um, we had a bit of trouble early on to try and get some support to get her to preschool and, and those sort of things but ended up getting a, a fantastic support worker that we've, we've still got in our lives today um, through some funding that we were able to obtain locally. So this is before NDIS. Yeah. And so she did start, actually started preschool with Renee going with her. So Renee was going along and, and basically still working as a carer. So she was sort of doing day and night at that point and mm. was, was going really well, was really enjoying that. And we, you know, we sort of pushed for that funding and chased some funding and, and then were able to slowly, Renee was able to ease out and Sue, her name is, yeah, lovely. Yeah, Nana Sue. She's like a second Nana for Olive. She's she's been fantastic, and she sort of took over and and was with her right through preschool and kindergarten. And when it came to school, Olive's gone to the one of the local public schools, who've who've been really fantastic. It's it's been difficult for them, you know, both the preschool and the school. Um, you know, obviously having a, a child with a tracheostomy is pretty confronting and and Olive's had a few issues in both of those places that have made it more confronting. Um, but they've really worked with us fantastically. The the public school, uh, we've, we've had a second carer uh, named Linda who's been with Olive since she started at, at primary school. And, yeah, she's, she's great with her as well and, and she's with her full-time during the day at school. 
You know, these people become part of the family in more ways than one, don't they? It's just such a, a gift when you've got someone and it clicks and they can yeah. stick around and yeah. they can be there th- for years and years and years. That's wonderful. Yeah, and like I was saying, Sue, who had her in preschool and kindy, she's um, she's doing a little bit of respite for us. We, <laughs> it was one of the ridiculous things that we've always struggled to get respite right from day one. We, we haven't mm. really had any respite until the last sort of 12 months um, where, where Sue comes out of an afternoon once a week and does a couple of hours with Olive just playing with her and, and spending some time with her so Renee and I can have a little bit of a break. And so how has Olive sleeping been lately? Is she, does she sleep through now or is it still a matter of some, you know, caution at night? Uh, some caution but nowhere near as much. We, she's, you know, the surgeries that she's had have helped to open her airway. So if her tracheostomy is out uh, these days, it can stay out for a period of time. Um, mm-hmm. How long, we're not sure, but it can stay out. It's not like it needs to go straight back in like it did when and, she was younger. And if something goes wrong during the night and she wakes up, is she able to, what can yeah. she do? Yeah, she can. We, we haven't had a, an episode like that in quite a while, but she's she's very aware of what's going on. Um, yeah, she she definitely let one of us know, but, I mean, it's at the same time, it's still a case of one of us sleeps with one eye open, I guess, just to keep an eye on her and, and listen. It's all about sounds it's been with Olive. It's listening for the, the right sounds, not the wrong ones. Okay. And you tune into those, don't you? You can't Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. How does she, uh, I mean, you say she's a rat bag, which uh, <laughs> I know you you mean with love. Um, I do. How, how, does she, <laughs> how does she get on with her sisters? Oh, really, really well. They, her and, and Charlie, being close in age, are, are best buddies. They spend a lot of time together uh, when they're at home playing and, and running around together. And, and, yeah, the same with Ella. She, she gets on really well with Ella as well. And, and Ella's been fantastic with her over the years. So Ella's um, eight years older than Olive and has really been very good with her. She's, you know, right from when she was very young, she's looked out for her and, and sort of take her under a wing, so to so to speak, and been very kind to her. Because as as you'd be aware, for some uh, siblings, you know, this is a complicated journey too uh, yeah. in a family where there are disabilities, and uh, not always a happy journey for them. Um, but in other cases, it's uh, just a wonderful thing to see, you know, unfold before your eyes. So yeah. they they. How do you do? You talk about this together because you've never had a diagnosis, have you? You you, you really still don't know what <laughs> no. happened. Yeah, not really. No, there's still been no really clear sort of understanding of that. But yeah, we we do talk about it. Um, we've always sort of tried to keep things pretty open and and involve the girls as much as we could. And and they've you know whenever we've been in for surgeries, um, not in Perth, the first time they came with us to Perth, but the second two they they didn't. And just the expense of, of that was too much. and and um, But otherwise, at Newcastle, they've always come down at some point and spent some time at hospital and, and been around that and, and, you know, they understand very well what's going on. You um, said that you were keen to be a dad, you know, you, yeah. you were ready for that when it happened and you love being a dad. Um, are there things about being a dad that have completely surprised you and, and, and were not what you expected or is this, uh, you know, are you, you, you relishing it, going with it, you know, whatever happens? How would you describe being a dad? 
Um, it's been a lot harder than I thought. I think is the big thing. It's it's been you know probably the hardest thing I've ever done, but at the same time the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I I just love watching my girls grow up, you know, into these happy. You know, I look at my oldest now; he's a young woman, and and I, you know, I know that that's just around the corner for the other two, and and it's it's amazing. It's amazing to see the people they're becoming, and and how they're different and unique, and and just yeah, beautiful children that that we love having around, and it's us the best. I I do. I love being a dad. It's yeah, I'd never have it any other way. That's the big thing we've always said is our whole sort of journey. We wouldn't change a thing. We've we've learned a lot that we never would have learnt in a different scenario, and and we look at Olive and the person she is, and and we think a lot of that's a product of where she's been and what she's been through, and will be in the future too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Is she looking at a lifetime of periodic surgery? Do you think? Uh, we're hoping not. <laughs> we we're actually we we're chatting. We we're actually due for. Um, surgery last week another lot of surgery another reconstructive surgery so the, the cartilage from the rib cage again uh with a different surgeon so there's now another surgeon who is who's done the training in the states in the meantime under the the same guy in cincinnati he's over in newcastle now so which sort of all fell into place for us really really well uh, so dr niall jefferson over there he's he's taken on olive's case now and we, yeah, we were scheduled for surgery last week but Thanks to our, our good friend, Mr. COVID, we, we couldn't do that. They were yeah, unable to yeah. access some of the medical supplies that they, they needed that they ordered six months ago. It was a, a different tracheostomy, a T-tube they're looking to use this time, and they just haven't been able to source that yet. So we're due to go back down in another three weeks. Okay. Well, all the very best with that. Uh, it it's, um, doesn't seem like much to say that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, all of us are... Wishing you the very best with the next phase of the journey. Um, yeah, we're probably you. getting close to when we might need to wrap up the conversation. Was there anything you wanted to say at the end here uh, before I ask you a final question? Um, I couldn't go through this chat without mentioning my wife, I think. I, I, what a good idea. Hello, yeah. Renee. <laughs> and you, we have you, mentioned you. We know you. You know Renee Hilsey very well. I um, do. Go ahead. She's, she's an incredible tell us how person. Much, tell us how wonderful she is. Oh, she's the best, mate. She's we wouldn't be where we are without her. That's a hundred percent. I could say that without a without a doubt. She's been incredible over this time. I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, That's yeah. all right. Mate. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> she's. I mean, she has. She's been the, the rock of our family for eight years, so, and and longer than that. So she's um she's tireless and she's. She never looks for any sort of praise or any sort of. She just does what she needs to do, and she does it very, very well. She's she's very kind, and she she's doing an amazing job of bringing up three beautiful girls, and keeping me in line and looking after me in the process. Yeah, she's the best. You know what, mate? You you can learn some things about a bloke from things he says, and you can learn from watching things he does, you know, or doesn't do. Um, I reckon you'll learn a lot when there's a moment when suddenly he kind of chokes up a bit and that was your moment just then and uh, I do want to thank you for being willing to be so honest and open. I 
it doesn't surprise me because I know you, but I wanted to thank you on behalf of everyone and to say that as far as I'm concerned, mate, you're a bloody good dad <laughs> and, you know, and the two of you make a bloody good team and I'm so glad that we've had a chance to have a brief uh, chat with you maybe in time to come when, you know, Olive's taken the next couple of years. Uh, we might come back and just revisit the story and see how you're going if you're willing and able to do that but uh just for now thank you again james it's been a, an absolute pleasure thanks for no, talking to me no thank you Hilsey. i've really enjoyed it and, and like i said all along anything that i could sort of do we decided that years ago that we we'd do that anything that was positive and helpful for anyone else in any sort of way and hopefully it's helped someone in some way <laughs> who knows i'm but, sure yeah. you have mate thank Happy you for sharing involved. your story with us Thank you for having me very much.